You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. Who owns the world's largest database? Should be an easy one for you. I would think Google. No, they're only number four on the list, actually. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, well, you actually did really truly get me on that one. Yeah, I think you'll be very happy about the answer, but I'll be very surprised if you can guess it right. But keep on trying. Let's give you three tries. Two to go. Oh, database. IBM? No, they're not even on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Last try. Come on. Think of a big company. Oh, I'm just trying to think of who would have a database of that size. Let me give you a clue. It's not a company. It's not a company. Wikipedia? (laughs) (laughs) No. No idea. No, it's the World Data Center of Climate. Oh. And they have 220 terabytes of web data alone and six petabytes of additional data. And to put it in perspective, six petabytes is three times the amount of all U.S. academic research libraries combined. (laughs) They just have... It's the equivalent of 24,500 DVDs that they have in magnetic tape that they can just pull from at any point of time. Jeez, that is crazy. It is crazy. And they use it to predict climate change. Wow. Maybe this whole climate change thing is real. I don't know. Maybe they're onto <laughs> something. Yeah, the top 10 list is the World Data Center of Climate, the National Energy Research Scientific Computer Center, then AT&T at three, believe it or not. Then it's Google at 42 terabytes, hmm. Sprint. At number five, Choice Point or LexisNexis at number six, YouTube at seven, Amazon at eight, which makes sense, the CIA at nine, and then the Library of Congress at 10. Very interesting. Yeah. So we're talking about something data-oriented today? I think so. I would think so. All right. Well, let's get started. Interesting story today. So when it comes to doing something new, there are plenty of brands, products, and even people that started very well and maybe not so good. But then over time, they become average and then potentially they become great. It's the classic example of the Euro's journey plot structure at work. And it appears that Target may have done this out of order. And for all intents and purposes, it seems Target started out pretty okay, and then they got worse, and then they got a lot better. And while that may be unusual, what isn't unusual is that like most brands, products, or people, no matter what order that you do it in, Target still had to fail before it got better. Well, and that's pretty much like all of us, <laughs> right? I mean, for the most part, yeah, there are a few people who just seem to skate through life and everything goes their way. But I think for the majority of us, for pretty much every human, we learn through our failures and learn through the difficult things and the challenges in overcoming those, right? Yeah, I suppose some of us try not to make the same mistakes twice, and some of us tend to do that on a regular basis. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, regardless of who we are. And certainly that applies to Target. Compared to other companies, Target's early years were pretty unexciting, uneventful. Yeah, They were like the other Kmart And the company's major milestones before their first major hiccup are as follows. In 1962, it was founded as the discount division of the Dayton's company of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wow. 
They've come a long way. Yes. And in the 1980s, it began expanding the store nationwide. In the 1990s, it introduced new store formats under the Target brand and started to find success as a cheap chic player within the industry. So you had companies like Shopco and Kmart that were also in that same space, but Target kind of positioned themselves within the cheap chic. So just kind of a step above those two kind of main competitors. And in 2000, the parent company was renamed the Target Corporation and operations started to get consolidated. All in all, prior to the early 2010s, Target seemed to be making consistent, but pretty much just uneventful accomplishments. Moving forward, not really making any headlines, but in 2013, that all begins to change. Oh, and sure did. Yeah, in 2013, two things happened actually that caused Target to be the subject of a brief and mortifying downfall. And one of those things happened to Target while the other one was an experiment gone wrong on their end. And that happens all the time with corporations, new brands and new divisions. The first to happen of those two was Target Canada. In March 2013, Target opened its first Canadian store and not too long after they reached the peak of 133 operational stores in Canada. And sadly, they just weren't meant to last. The expansion into Canada presented Target with a host of problems. The most notable obstacle might have been the supply chain issue that resulted in stores with aisles of empty shelves, which is always kind of a problem with a retail store, Mm. and the higher than expected retail prices due to the supply chain issues. So on January 15th, 2015, Target announced that they will close all 133 Canadian store outlets and liquidate everything by the end of the year. So kind of sad. Two years of building something up and then two years later, closing it all down again. That must have sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that didn't feel very good. In the amount of money that they wasted in doing that, right? Crazy. Right. And you would think that they would nail that, right? I mean, it's not like they went into Asia. (laughs) They went into Canada. Right Into Canada, the logistical issues should be fairly transparent. Well, they should solve it before they even start, right? It's just Target. And that's the thing with retail stores and, and especially companies in that space. When I think about companies like Kroger and grocery stores, of which Target has a crossover, certainly, there's a lot of research that goes into every single store that's opened where it's opened. Yeah, and they've got it down. They've got analytics and projections. Right. So a little less than four months after the announcement on April 12th, 2015, the last Target Canada stores closed. And it turns out that Target was actually more efficient at shutting down stores in Canada than they were at stocking them. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, at the end of it all, Running up to 133 stores for about two years cost Target $2.1 billion in this failed adventure. And that just clearly, of course, didn't help in any way. It was labeled, quote, a spectacular failure and an unmitigated disaster <laughs> and defined by the Financial Post as, quote, a gold standard case study in what retailers should not do when they enter a new market. Wow. Yeah, we should actually, I don't know, we're not going to do it since today's episode, but it might 
be worth our while just digging into that a little bit more, trying to figure out like what they did wrong and how on earth they did that, because you wouldn't expect that from them, right? You would expect this from a company like Lowe's that's moving into the food industry and then fails or something similar. They just try to replicate their exact same chain in a different location 100 miles from them. And it failed. It's really interesting. It is. And normally that would be bad enough, right? This is a significant loss that they go through, this significant write-off, right? And little do they know that things are about to compound. Yeah. So we fast forward to 2020 in this huge pandemic. And then, oh no, (laughs) that's what happened, is it? Not quite that far down the road. (laughs) (laughs) no and then in 2013 they had a massive data breach (laughs) a massive data breach and this happened eight months after the company launched their soon-to-be short-lived subsidiary in canada so on november 27th 2013 target started experiencing their data breach and i say started to experience the data breach because the breach lasted a total of 19 days so from november 27th, two days before Black Friday, horrible timing, to December 15th. And part of the kick here is that the breach reportedly went on for 16 of those 19 days before it got detected. So that in itself is a really bad situation. And it would be more than 20 days after the discovery before Target would notify public about the breach. Mm. I remember this clearly. It was such a debacle. Just the way they handled it, it was just crazy. Yeah. And so looking at the timeline here, they had just started the expansion into Canada. They were just beginning opening the stores. And then they have this huge distraction of the breach yeah, and kind of backward momentum of the breach. So initially, Target believes that around 40 million consumer credit and debit card Profiles, including customer names, card numbers, expiration date, the CVV, basically everything you need to be able to make a purchase with someone's information had actually been stolen. And in one of their earliest statements, Target claimed consumer PIN data had not been part of the breach. And that was believed to be the case until December 27th, when Target had to reverse their statement about the safety of consumer PIN numbers and disclosed that PIN data had actually been stolen Mm. as well, albeit in an encrypted form, but still usable in combination with that card information. So on January 10th, 2014, Target has another announcement to make. They announced that an additional 70 million people had been affected by the breach. One of them were Megan. My wife was part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were as well. I remember getting the emails and all of that kind of stuff. Free identity check and (laughs) stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, boy, if I had a nickel for every time I've gotten a free identity check. Experian, Target. Yeah, exactly, from all the hacks that have happened. Yeah. But yeah, so it brings the total to about 110 million customers. And that wasn't the only thing Target had to add. They also had to inform the public that on top of credit card information that was stolen. The stolen customer information included names, mailing addresses, phone numbers, Mm. and email addresses. And when you can combine things like name and email address with other personal information, that makes it even more risky in terms of the type of 
access that hackers can gain to other areas of your financial life. So obviously, there's a moral to the story here, but there's also a technical takeaway too. The most effective way to learn from the latter might be to break down the attack, like what actually happened with that attack. Yeah, so let's talk about the anatomy of this attack. The anatomy of the attack on target data consists of five different points. First is the preliminary survey. Then it's the compromise of third-party vendor or vendors. Third is leverage of target's vendor's portal access. Fourth is gaining control of target servers. And then the final one is the point-of-sale system or the POS system. And had any of these five things been detected and countered, it's more likely that an attack would have fallen apart. So what does it all mean? Well, the first point, preliminary survey, means it's uncertain if or how the attackers compromise reconnaissance of the network of targets. Some data security professionals suggest that the breach could have been more technical than the average Joe is capable of managing. And then others, like investigative reporter and journalist Ben Krebs, said, quote, a simple Google search turns out targets supplier portal. Yeah, and this sounds very familiar to the approach that was used with this solar winds attack, this massive breach of the US government systems where they used a third party mm -hmm. and actually gained access via the third party rather than a direct hack. Right. So if you're willing to scroll long enough, you'll find that targets supplier portal, according to Krebs, quote, includes a wealth of information for new and existing vendors and suppliers about how to interact with the company, how to submit invoices, etc. So the second point in breaking down the data breach suggests attackers backed their way into Target's corporate network by compromising a third-party vendor. Mm. How many vendors were targeted was never released to our knowledge, but really it took only one. And so now, in 2021, we know that that magic vendor that was the key to this hack happened to be Fazio Mechanical, a refrigeration contractor. The vendor became compromised because at least one Fazio employee was duped by a phishing email. This allowed Citadel, a variant of the Zeus banking Trojan, to be installed on Fazio computers. And with Citadel now in place, the attackers waited until the malware offered what they were looking for, Fazio Mechanical's login credentials. Armed with information from Fazio Mechanical, the attackers were able to figure out which portal to subvert and use it as a staging point into Target's internal network. Krebs interviewed a former member of Target's security team who explained that at the time, quote, most if not all, internal applications at Target used Active Directory credentials. Hmm. Yeah, it would make sense that the attackers were after, let's call them AD credentials, the Active Directory. And the attackers told Cribs that, quote, it wouldn't say that the vendor had AD credentials, but internal administrators would use the AD login to access the system from inside. This would mean that the server had access to the rest of the corporate network in some form. So if you think about it from here, it wouldn't be very difficult to accomplish the step four out of the five steps that I outlined previously in the attack. 
basically to gain control to the target servers. And then finally, the attackers would have needed target's point of sale system with the POS. There's a long jargon-filled way of explaining this last step of the attacker's plan, but we'll just refrain from going into the nitty gritty here. And we'll just say that they've accomplished to get into target's POS. So that's all amazing and highly in-depth and highly technical as to how this came about. But there were other things at play here as well during this time period. So after the breach was announced, the biggest public criticism of Target was that they didn't announce the breach sooner. It's one thing to get hacked. It's another thing to hide that hack and not notify people of the risk. That's like a common thing though, right? A lot of Companies do that for some reason. Experience did the same thing, right? For weeks, they just kept quiet about it. It's not going to go away. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. You can't sweep it under the rug. I'm sure they were trying to contain control and come up with a story, but it's not going to go away. And during that entire time frame, the risk to individuals that were victims of the attack just continues to rise. So for the customers whose personal information was stolen, that's, of course, a very fair criticism. But when you look at data breaches in the 2010s, it doesn't give Target nearly enough credit because not only is Target not the only company to experience a major data breach in that time period, but the 20 days they kept a breach under wraps pales in comparison to how long other companies like Yahoo kept their data breaches a secret. So the second Yahoo data breach was the smallest and was announced by the company first. So maybe let's start with that. Yahoo disclosed that a breach took place in late 2014 that affected over 500 million Yahoo user accounts. And this announcement came in September of 2016. So that's two years later. Unacceptable. The first data breach, which Yahoo announced second, occurred in August of 2013. Yeah. And to make it worse, it was initially believed that this affected 1 billion users, Yahoo users, as the company explained when it announced the breach in December 2016. But later in October 2017, they realized that the estimate was wrong and they meant it and said it's all 3 billion users that was affected by the 2013 breach. Mm. So not even with the late, they were just wrong with the information. And all this to say, compared to Yahoo, Target did, maybe not right, but relatively well to their customers. And they may have waited 20 days, but at least they didn't wait two or three years. And speaking of Target again, so what happened to the company after the breach? Well, first, as an apology to the public, all the Target stores in the US gave retail shoppers a 10% storewide discount for the weekend of December 21st through 22nd, 2013. I mean, To me, that's kind of like whatever. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's not a significant discount. Come and spend your money at our store and make us more money. Exactly. I mean, that's just like a strategy to make more money off of this thing. Yeah. You give somebody store credit, that's very different. But for customers directly affected by the breach, Target offered free credit monitoring via Experian. Yeah, <laughs> the irony, right? <laughs> and we got that, and then we got hacked through Experian. Yeah, yeah, so fantastic. <laughs> we got hacked through them both. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. This is actually pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the company's reputation for being a top-rated shopping experience 
is very tarnished at this point. And in 2014, Target announces hefty increases in security spending. And according to Brand Index, Target's consumer perception took a 54.6% dip. That same year, they rolled out a few new campaigns, including a corporate social responsibility campaign. And in 2015, experts began to say that Target will, quote, remain the most significant breach in history because it was the first time a CEO of a major corporation got fired because of a breach. And it all sounds maybe a little dire, but in 2017, a study found that prior knowledge of Target's breach and the breach settlement made no difference to 39% of shoppers when it came to their likeness to continue shopping there. In 2019, Target held close to 2,000 stores in the US. And in 2020, Target was ranked number 37 of the Fortune 500 of the largest US states corporations by total revenue. Before the breach, the most exciting thing that happened to Target was the parent company's name changed to Target. But compared to before the data breach, things like having nearly 2,000 locations and making it to Fortune 500 is pretty great, right? So I think this was a really, really bad thing that happened to them, but their brand is so, so strong and people just kind of like accepted it. It is very interesting how much people are willing to accept. The reason why we just laughed about this, we kind of like unfortunately conditioned that this is just okay when this happens, you know? It's like shame, it happened to them too. Right. So what are your key takeouts from all of this? Well, I think to your point, we've just become very accustomed to our personal information being available and out there. And, you know, I think also some of the changes that have happened with security protocols. So, for example, chips being put into your card and banks reversing charges from fraud all make people feel less anxious about it. The two-factor authentication and unique authentication codes that are now like texted to you every single time you log in somewhere yeah. make people feel just a lot more secure that even if something happens, they'll get reimbursed or they'll find a way to not have it affect them besides just it kind of being a little bit more of an annoyance. So a lot has changed, but I also think that people are very willing to give up their personal information and their personal privacy for experience. Yeah, We talk about this all the time, how much people are so willing to absolutely sign their entire privacy rights away to companies like Google and Facebook because of the experience, because of the instant access to information. I think a lot of people make the calculations and decide the trade-off is worth it. So all of these advances and these big breaches, I think, have really raised the level of awareness for executives about the importance of privacy and security. I know you and I both work in healthcare marketing and the implications are so much greater Mm -hmm. and the consequences are so much greater for breaches within healthcare. So it's really shown a light on the importance of IT security. And so it's not enough to be aware and it's not enough to be transparent. You also have to be timely, respond quickly, and act based on what happens. And I think in the short and the long run, it doesn't really matter, I think, that Target alerted the public fairly quickly compared to other compromised companies like Yahoo. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like 
more than anything, how strong is the experience and how willing are people to continue with it? Yeah, and this is something we can pull through in corporate communication outside of just a breach, right? I think people today, specific as it relates to your personal data, it doesn't always matter if you don't have all the information. Consumers would prefer a sentence fragmented of information from the get-go rather than like a long, lengthy essay of exactly what happened. And I think that's a lot of times where people hold back the information. And improve security when you can, because Americans trust retailers. And that means that it's on the retailers to not misuse this trust. And I think we're applying this right now to this data breach and target, but I think all these learnings can just be applied to running any corporate company. And we talk about transparency. We can just call this the transparency podcast, because I feel we mentioned that so many times. <laughs> But it is, it's so true, especially in the circumstance. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Speak to you guys next week. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.